Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience to high-performing fee-for-service professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves personally and professionally. And to that end, on today's podcast, I had a great exchange with Scott Hamilton, who is on the Pareto Coaches Network, but is the most uniquely qualified business development authority in the areas of creating a multifamily office, a brand within your overarching brand. So I'm looking forward to that. If you do like this podcast, please like and share, tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or topics that you'd like to hear us cover on the Always On podcast, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Duncan McPherson, very excited to be joined with Scott Hamilton. This is going to be a very interesting conversation, but also actionable, covering a lot of technical ground. There could not be a more uniquely qualified professional to cover the subject matter. So among other things, we're going to talk about one of the most profound silver linings that we've seen in the last uh, couple of years is top financial fee-for-service professionals going further up market. And it's interesting, Scott, you talked about, you know, what do they want to do when they grow up? Well, they're growing up market in some cases by growing down, but to establish that brand within a brand where they can position themselves uniquely to have a multifamily office. So before we get into the nuts and bolts, I would love for you to talk about your history, your background, as especially your previous life. So you've been a coach and consultant on the Pareto Coaches Network uh, for quite a while now, but it's before that, the level that you played at in working with high caliber clients, along with financial professionals, that gives you such a unique window on this. So thank you for being here and then take it away with a bit of your uh, history. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. Um, sure. I mean, this is you know, definitely uh, ancient history, but but that's okay. I think I've been coaching now for almost four and a half years now with you guys, and it's just a, it's a pleasure. I just love doing it. Yeah. So before that, you know, I was a practicing lawyer in the estate planning area for I don't know, fifteen or eighteen years, and uh, you know, I I tell people that I saw how much money was being made by the insurance salespeople selling insurance to my clients, and I thought to myself. I, you know, I can probably do this as well as, as it's being done now and maybe a smidge better, you know? And so uh, I started a new company, which was called Innovision, still, still out there. And we worked basically with high net worth families all over the country. Uh, and the definition of high net worth ended up being in the company, you know, I say in our busiest years was probably 25 million and up. Uh, I still talk to clients occasionally, but they've got to have at least 50 million now. And most of the ones that I talk to are 100 to 200 million, I would say. And I'm not saying that, to, you know, it's not a brag or a boast or anything. It's really just, you know, recognition on my part that I want to work with people who have really complex problems. I want to work with people where I can provide a huge amount of value. And, you know, it's, that's where it is. I mean, that's that space. I mean, I've kind of, I kind of worked my whole career to build up a skill set, to be able to work in that in that marketplace, so you know I probably uh, 
probably around 2002 or three, we started Innovision and grew it to about 20. I think we had about 20 people working for us. Uh, it's a good-sized company and, and very successful until the tax law started to change and they started to you know, creep up the exemption, uh, which I'm sure most of the people online are familiar with. That didn't kill the company, but it, it killed the need for a lot of people. So we had to do exactly what you're talking about. We had to shrink pretty fast, and we did. And then really just focused in on, a, on the really high end of the market. And that was just, it was a ton of fun. So, you know, I've got that, I've got that experience working with really challenging, really successful, really high net worth people that I think is helpful, certainly for the people who are trying to get into this marketplace, or maybe they're already in it and they want to expand, you know, further, they're liking it too. And they're seeing that, you know, the challenges are just, it's just great. It's a lot of fun, you know, and if you've been, if you've had a nice, really nice retail practice, but, you know, you just, you know, you're kind of tired of it and you're just looking for more zing. This is definitely an area to be in. I mean, it's just for the right person. It's a huge amount of fun. Well, and we were talking yesterday and if I, if I heard you correctly, because we want to ride the, the, the track on both sides of the quantitative and qualitative, but I think you told me yesterday that as you went further up market, the degree of personal fulfillment and also the appreciation level of those higher caliber, more complex clients, it was greater as well. Yeah. And I, you know, this is something that I think it, it bears just talking about for a minute here. Like a lot of people think they might want to get into this space, but it is, it's incredibly challenging. The needs and the ability to pay for what they need uh, is just completely different. They, you know, cash flow is usually not as much of an issue, but finding places to put money is an issue. People who worry about what to do with money. I mean, everybody worries uh, to some degree about what money might do to their kids. But when you've got, you know, a half a billion dollars, it's like just a, it's just a different game, you know. And at that level, there's many more stakeholders than just your immediate family. I mean, that money can go for generations, people you don't know. And in a lot of the cases that I worked on, you know, they were large but small businesses, you know, 800 employees, maybe 500 employees. So good size, right? But a lot of the owners, Don, one of their key concerns was like, I don't want to just make my kids rich. I mean, I want to make sure that this business continues to support the community. You know, in a lot of these cases that I worked on, the business employed everybody, you know, everybody within 20 miles of the business usually small markets, if that business was sold and, uh, you know, and moved, I would have been devastating for the communities. So, you know, this is what I mean, that the, the issues are, I mean, that's just one example, but the issues are just multiplied like crazy with the numbers. And I just loved it, right? So the, the reason I'm saying it is because it requires a tremendous amount of effort, a lot of digging, a lot of willingness to admit that maybe you don't know everything and you've got to partner with other people to deliver the level of service that's really going to satisfy this type of a client. So, yeah. So for me, though, as you say, I mean, it, I'm just jazzed. You know, it's, uh, it's just every day you wake up and you go, I don't know what today's going to bring, but it's going to be exciting. 
And that's a cool feeling for me anyways, uh, I'm sure for others, but certainly for me. That's a great spot to be in. And that's very gratifying to hear about the uh, commonality of some of these very high caliber business owners who are very much fixated on the legacy and the ripple effect on the other side to their employees, to their community, and of course their family members, not just hitting their number and giving that part of it uh, meanings. That's very, very good to hear. We got so much ground to cover. And of course, you know, I asked you yesterday to send me some uh, information to prepare me and you just buried me. Uh, so <laughs> this will clearly not be a one-off conversation. And, and this is clearly emerging as a pattern. And I don't want to oversimplify this because you and I are in, in consultations with teams that are actually building this out in real time. Uh, it's interesting. You weren't on this call this morning, but I was on a call with a uh, team in Ontario and, you know, the classic, right? A couple hundred clients, great business, great bench strength, great reputational elements in the community. And the lead advisor wants to grow further up market. And he's starting to see he's getting introductions to people who have five or $10 million of investable assets, but have a net worth of 50 to $100 million. That, that would be outside of the process initially. But he wants to crack that code so he can get out in front of that and be very attractive uh, as those liquidity events happen. And as I said to him, your goal in the next three to five years is to have 15 to 25 clients that you can be their multifamily office. And you, you might even argue a, a smaller number but that is, in essence, the premise. So let's talk about how we get there. And, and the one other thing I want to acknowledge, Scott, and I think one of the things, and you know this undoubtedly, but back in your early days, when you made that distinction about the income opportunity in the insurance world, it was probably your lack of salesmanship that actually made you very attractive to those clients when the insurance and risk management components were brought into play, because you weren't pitching it, you were positioning it as a solution. Uh, is that safe to say? Yeah, it's more than safe to say. I'm probably one of the world's worst salespeople. Now, if you talk to my wife and you know her, if you want a salesperson, that's who you want to employ, not me. We were, yeah, we were, uh, we built a very data-driven, uh, very goal-oriented process for clients and insurance you know, insurance was like the last thing on our mind. It was, how do we figure out where they want to go and get them there? And if insurance is called for any particular reason, fantastic. But we were also fee-based too. So, I mean, we, you know, we were getting paid just fine on a fee basis that we didn't really need to drive the insurance revenue. But, you know, as most, call, most people on the call know, insurance can be, you know, quite lucrative and it's just, rather than refer it out or 100%, I mean, that it was just made more sense to, to keep some of it at home. So yes, I mean, we were, yeah, I'm not really a great salesperson, as most people who know me would tell you. Well, but again, part of your charm is because you're completely transparent, you have the technical ability, and you're client-centered always. So uh, I'm not sure if you want to start here, but the one thing I want to talk about in terms of uh, a financial professional reimagining their role, their relevance, their sense of purpose, all of that, 
a big part of it is in establishing, formalizing, and professionalizing a value-added support team, which I would refer to as VAST as an acronym. So value-added support hmm. team. Over the course of the last couple of months, I've been insisting that advisors make contact with M&A professionals, uh, trust professionals, business brokers, to just basically buy some of their time, understand a day in the life and their expertise, and figure out what where they fit, how they can engage these pro uh, professionals in their value-added support, support team. Do you mind if we start there just for a second? I know we've got a lot of other ground to cover. Yeah. Yeah, uh, frame it up a little bit for me. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, there's the, the core, just to take a step back for a minute. So having helped build the multifamily office for one relatively large RIA, you know, I can sort of, I, I sort of have that experience of building it out, like what works and what doesn't. But also I think, and I know you've done this too, you know, just watching in the marketplace and seeing what the competitive forces are. I mean, it's clear for right or wrong that multifamily offices are investment driven. I mean, it's, it's AUM, it's a percentage of assets that pays the freight for, you know, for the ongoing services. And a lot of advisors, I think, are content and successful just delivering a superb investment management process you know, an outcome. So what's happened, I think, over the last maybe 10 years is that the competition in this space has ratcheted up. All the wirehouses have family office services. Many of the larger RIAs have built out family office services. Trust companies have mm -hmm. all built out because this is a very desirable client, right? I mean, wherever you set the level, it's a very desirable client, profitable. And so this is where I think you're starting, not starting, but you're seeing a significant uh, need for value add to be part of your process if you're going to stay competitive. Otherwise, you know, if you don't have access to all of this stuff at your fingertips, I don't, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we bring it in-house for a number of reasons, but uh, if you don't have access to it, then you can bet somebody is pitching your best clients on the things that you're not doing for them. And you know whether that right. causes them to leave or not, I don't know. You know, We just had a case in one of the coaching clients that we, we have with Pareto where the 50, a $50 million account left. Um, and it wasn't because they weren't doing a great job. They were doing a great job. In fact, they were doing what the competitor said they weren't. I mean, when you get right down to it, but now you're in an argument with a client and that's not gonna work, right? Uh, the client said, no, I, I really need these services. I see that they're available at this trust company. And they left. Yeah. Not a good day in the investment business. I mean, you know, and these, so these guys recognize that they've got to now expand beyond just investment management and bring in some of these other areas. So I, that's the kind of framing that I think about when I think about, and I love your acronym, value-added support team. I mean, it ties in nicely with what we've been talking about for years which is the idea of bringing other professionals into our process. Well, and just to jump on that for a second, because I've never been comfortable with the positioning of circles of influence, because that implies that I'm going to assemble this array of relationships who are going to influence others to do business with me. And it just, it just doesn't seem client-centered. 
We also don't want financial professionals to get into this sort of uh, knee-jerk sort of positioning where they're saying, we're going to refer you out. No, no. We're going to engage these other service providers into the process. And this is a very huge distinction because I'm having this conversation more uh, frequently recently as well. I'm, I'm constantly hammering on our clients on their enterprise value. And of course, most of them base their enterprise value on AUM. And I say to them, look, you're a fee-for-service, knowledge-for-profit professional. Write AUM down and then put a line beside it. And then on the other side of the line, write down IP, intellectual property. I want the value of your intellectual property to rival the value of the AUM. Now, some people think that's a fantasy. It's not a fantasy. We see businesses now that are no longer two or three X. They're now six, seven, even more based on the degree that they are process driven. The, the secondary benefit of that is the more a financial pro professional embraces this mindset, I believe they are not only do they have that intrinsic value, I think they're more relevant to a business owner because they are thinking like a business owner not a broker, yes. not just somebody who has that commoditized technical ability. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use, turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Would you agree that many advisors are reacting to triggering events? So an event occurs and then they deploy the SWAT team to try to go and address those issues, where in fact, they should be way out in front of it, future pacing with clients that we have a process in place that will address this as your life unfolds. Yeah, I think, I think so. And so first of all, with my lawyer training, I rarely answer yes or no to a question like that. Uh, <laughs> it depends, right? Is always the answer. But yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right, and it's one of the things that I'm seeing more and more as people are starting to think about getting into this market, which is, you know, there's always a hesitation to give up and maybe think about reassigning clients somewhere else, right? And you know, I don't think that's necessary. 
Like I love your positioning of brand within a brand, right? There's no reason that an advisor can't build a team to support clients at all levels. Yeah. Right. I think that's totally doable. And what, you know, your idea here of, of process and running a business, this is the key, right? This is the key to that. You have to have processes so that you know that all the clients are being well taken care of. They may not be being taken care of by you. Everybody's getting a great experience all the way up and down the chain. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, as we, you know, on that consultation yesterday, you and I did, I mean, that we reinforce the positioning that you're doing the 80% disservice by keeping them in the status quo. And it's not a handoff. It's an elevation to a different person on the team who is deploying the same practice and process. Okay. So arguably the lead advisors B client becomes somebody else's a client, but they're not winging it being left to their own devices. They are creating a client experience based on those best practices and deploying the process to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And then of course, liberating the advisor. So I do want to jump to some of the positioning and the future pacing with the 25 clients in terms of coming. But do you think so far in this conversation, we've done an adequate job really hitting on the subject of the benefits of establishing that brand within the brand and maybe the risks in not establishing the brand and the brand? I'd like your feedback on that before I move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm less sure about how I think about the risks of not doing it. I, I, because I think that there are people who are going to struggle moving into that market. They've done a fantastic job building what they have and very successful. I mean, you know that a lot of the people that we talk to are monstrously successful. And to me, they've got to be committed either to bringing on talent internally or externally to work in this market, or they got to want to do it themselves. Just like saying, I think it would be a good idea to work with people that have 50 million is going to be without more preparation and more commitment is going to be tough, if not impossible. So to me, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a preliminary decision that has to be made. Do I want to be in this market? Do I want our team to be in this market, right? And if we do, fantastic, right? Then it's like everything else. If you know where you're going, it's much easier to get there. And, and that's true here, I think. So am I hearing this properly that it's, it's not just the opportunity to the advisor, the decision to opt in based on, like you say, the commitment it has to be as much about responsibility, responsibility to myself and my own pursuit of self-actualization, but also a responsibility to a client. I don't want them to outgrow me or feel that they've outgrown me. And we've seen it, you know, as those numbers get bigger, more money, more complexities, sometimes more problems, doing them a disservice by not embracing this. I, I guess the response, Balancing the opportunity with the responsibility. Am I overthinking that or? No, I think you're 100% right. I can't, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the old thing about, you know, the dog chasing the car, you know, and what do they do when they catch it, right? I mean, it's, it's the same thing here. Like, uh, I can't overstate the demands 
that someone with 25 or 50 million will put on a team. And, and they're totally respectful about it. It's not, it's not like they're, they're, they become jerks all of a sudden because they sold their business and they got a lot of money. It's just that they sold their business, they got a lot of money, and now all of a sudden their life has changed yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, more than just are we investing properly. I think a lot of people underestimate what it means to become suddenly affluent. Even if it is that 25-year overnight success story for a business owner, like they, it was sort of inevitable, it was coming, but it gets real, real fast. And, and there's so much going on, so much complexity. I, I got to come back to the dog thing for a second because you reminded me of one of my kids sent me a video of a dog, very much like one of ours, barking mm -hmm. at a bird. And as tough as you can imagine, like just mean, angry dog, small dog barking at this bird. And then the bird looked down at the dog and flew at the dog. And the dog just <laughs> lost it, freaked out, ran away, terrified. Uh, yeah, so basically uh, your yeah. analogy about the dog in the car. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot to consider here. If you could ease in to some of the elements, because I know you've got this built out approach and we are actually refining and optimizing it now in real time with consulting clients that are going to this next level with us. Some of the initial elements on a checklist that a team needs to consider to, to commit to this and then start chipping away. Some thoughts on that? So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, I mean, I think it's a long checklist, first of all. I mean, I don't want to undersell that, but it, but I also want to say it's completely doable, right? Just about everybody that we work with, I say, has the brains and the skill and the, you know, willingness to work hard that would allow them to be successful in this area. So, I mean, I think that's, it's really more just decision. Do I want to do this or not? Right. They've got the capability. Um, so I think there's a couple things. First of all, they've got to get their own house in order, right? Which is, of course, one of the things that we do every day with people is, you know, again, not that there's anything wrong with what they're doing, but it is the case in every, every team I've worked with through Pareto that they have a large number of households that are not being served. They're just, nobody's really paying attention to them. And it's because they don't have an extra, you know, a lot of extra time to work on them. They don't have the staff to work on them and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you and I both know that that hurts the business. I mean, yeah, those people, those households who are not getting the advisor's attention are taking the attention of the team, the rest of the team in a big way. Um, certainly not one by one, but as a group. And it's frustrating to everybody on that team to do that. So one of the things that I think makes sense is to just is to start thinking about how are we going to run this business going forward? If we need to hire people, let's hire them. And let's segregate that business if we're going to hold on to it. It may be that they don't want to hold on to it. I mean, I've seen them. Mm -hmm. There's another talented advisor in our office. He's not on our team. She's not on our team. But she's got the time or he's got the time to work with these clients. And that's, I mean, we want them to be served. I mean, I, the advisors have every intention of serving them. It's just how much time in the day is there, right? Right. So either staff up internally or find a good caring advisor externally who can take over that segment. 
of their business. And then that frees up the staff to start actually supporting this effort, right? So we got to be internally, we have to be good. All the processes we work on at Pareto have to be solid, right? Just up and down, whatever the remaining clientele is or whatever, you know, whoever they elect to work with going forward. I think once there's a comfort level there, now we can start to build out the service offering for the MFO offer. And and that luckily, I think that's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier because I think there's a pretty defined universe of services that people in this marketplace want. They may, you know, it's like everything else. They may need some more, some services more than others, right? And at different times, they may need different things, of course. You know, here from here, it's like saying, okay, let's identify what those services might be that we're gonna offer. Let's get some familiarity with what they are and let's find out who the best people are who are working in these different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, So as you said earlier, we invite those people into our process. They become part of our team for whatever period of time, you know, is necessary, including, you know, in perpetuity, right? I mean, who knows? Like, if you're going to do check writing, you're not going to stop doing that. You're going to, you're going to do that. I don't know how many people write checks anymore, but you get my point. Bill paying, right? A hugely important service to a lot of clients. Very sticky, also, but you know you got to have the staff for it. You can't not pay yep. bills, right? I mean, and that's, that's an important, but maybe a s- smaller piece of all this. So, you know, some of the bigger things are making sure that estate planning is done. And again, these advisors, although they're most of the ones I've met are very talented in this area. They've seen a lot. They've had a lot of experience. They've seen things go right. You know, they've seen things go wrong. So bringing that to the table in the high net worth space is incredibly valuable. Okay. So, so you, you position that as get your house in order. So that's sort of an overarching theme. So breaking that down and, you know, getting into that nexus, that intersection between professional scarcity and professional contrast, right? So differentiating yourself in the pack and ensuring people understand that you're not trying to cobble together this massive enterprise. You know who you're suited for. That's got to be self-fulfilling for the team, let alone client-facing for the marketplace, whether it's a, an influencer or advocacy from a client. It's got to be validating for the team that, okay, we're worthy of this type of client now because we've taken those steps. Yeah, I think it is. It's, uh, it's relief. One of the teams I'm thinking about now Everybody was just running crazy two years ago, and now they're not. They've organized and put processes in place and segmented in a real way, not just, you know, kind of lip service, but in a real way. They figured out how to allocate resources to all segments of their client list. And it's just, I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. You know, and it's allowed them you know, there's a couple of advisors on that team. I've, they just brought in like a massive amount of new money from a client because they were able to now. now. Would they have gotten it anyways? I mean, they just said on the phone, I don't know. We, I don't know. But we definitely were confident that we could handle it. 
because we've cleared the decks. I mean, everybody's getting served and everyone's got a place. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. I want to come back to this, but something occurred to me. When somebody has a liquidity event, gets busy, noisy, complex, who's doing the chirping into that client's ear that you've got to consider going over to this trust firm or, or this, you, you've outgrown this advisor? Who, who's doing that chirping? Who's creating that doubt? Is it within or is it an external thing? It could be within. It could be the CFO who's doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, for these larger companies, and um, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of these CFOs are coming from larger you know, accounting firms, and they've had relationships with, with bankers and, and M&A people from some of, the, you know, some of the investment banks or the investment side of the banks. And so it could be internal. Um, if it's not internal, it's definitely going to be the M&A uh, team, right? So if we hire a bank, an investment bank, to come in and do M&A, you know, the M&A work and run, the, run that you know, sales process, you can bet that they're doing a, they've got a cross-selling meeting going every week, you know, with the investment management side of that bank looking for opportunities. And again, I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong about it, right? I mean, but it's important to have an awareness. I mean, they're gonna be, they're gonna be pitched hard, right? Invited to New York for a weekend, meet the president, you know, it depends on the size of the client, of course, but meet the president of the bank and go out to, you know, I mean, it's hard for a lot of advisors to keep up with that full court press. Well, and it's interesting. I had one advisor say to me that used to be intimidating. And then I realized through feedback from a couple of people that it was not greener on the other side. After the fade of the overpromise under deliver, after they've you know got their win, uh, the experience fizzled out quite dramatically. So I think that's pretty pretty important to keep in mind. Uh, I want to ask you a couple more things, but just in the spirit of a call to action, if anybody listening in wants to just get their head around this opportunity, this responsibility, and our capability, uh, I would encourage you to consider a gap analysis conversation with Scott on reimagining your trajectory and your growth model. And if this might be a good fit for you, I want to talk a little bit about communication and priming the pump. Once an advisory team says, okay, you know, we've got, we we want to do this. We're bought in. uh, We get it. We've got our checklist. We're going to chip away. Now comes the moment of truth communicating this, positioning this, not pitching it, positioning it with clients. I mean, we just had that consultation yesterday where we walked through some of this brand within a brand messaging. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes on that if you're okay, because I think it's very, very powerful just to demystify. So a lot of advisors are planting seeds with their clients that this is coming. They're not going over the top on setting expectations. They're just future pacing. And they're, they're basically saying to their top 25 to 50 clients that uh, one of the silver linings of this last couple of years has been as a team, we've become closer and, and more tethered together, even though we were forced to work remotely. 
And uh, we're so rejuvenated. We've engaged a consulting firm. We've identified a few gaps in terms of our bench strength. And we are addressing uh, and optimizing our process to get out in front of our clients' evolving needs. And I'm really looking forward to showing you what that looks like over the course of the next several months. I mean, that's just sort of one variation, but that has been very well received by clients just in terms of uh, how that's uh, interpreted uh, about the relationship directionally. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I've heard you talk about this a lot. And I've, of course, stolen it and use it myself. You, were, you talked at one of the events when another friend of mine, Scott Keffer, talked and he said, you know, the first time you use something from someone else, you give credit. And the second time you forget credit. And the third time it's your idea, you know, so, uh, so by now it's probably my idea. But yeah, no, I, I think what's appealing to this is the idea that the advisor is, is really living that concept of being all things to a select group of people. I think the, the listener, you know, the, the audience, the, the client loves to hear that. They love to hear that you've, you've dedicated yourself to working with people like them. You know, you're not across the board. You're not, you know, you're not stressed, but you are, you're bringing your years of experience in most cases to bear to help them succeed. And I, I mean, I, I can't think of a more powerful message. I mean. Well, and, and reading between the lines, it also says I'm not complacent. The clay is soft. I'm striving to constantly elevate and get, in, yeah. get out in front of our clients' evolving needs, which incidentally, and you've seen this as well, one of my favorite exercises in the gap analysis and early in the uh, engagement with a team that is going down this path is just asking them, what has the last two years revealed for you. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday as well, but what I've seen, the pattern is five things. First of all, these teams that embrace this, their sense of purpose and calling has been completely rejuvenated. Okay. So any sense that I was sort of sleepwalking, that's gone. I have a, a bounce in my step again. Okay. That's number one. Number two, it is the, as a lifelong planner, understanding a client's evolving needs and that inflection point around those suddenly affluent liquidity events. Third thing, the importance of bench strength and, and having that built out team. Uh, and in some cases overbuilt, but that's good because, you know, obviously the business will grow into it. Fourth, that very important distinction that you have great clients that love you and trust you but do not have the complete picture. They are not aware of your full array of capabilities and how built out your process is as their life unfolds. And then lastly, reimagining what growth really is and, and the correlation between how many relationships you manage and how much money you will manage and the, the size and the value of the business that you will manage. And when that number of relationships goes down, the other two generally go up 
quite dramatically. Anything you want to add to that in terms of what's been revealed as people sort of go into this next frontier? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think the, you know, this whole issue with the pandemic and the uproar that it caused has given people a lot of opportunity to think about what they want to do in the future at, at all, you know, at all yeah. levels. In my own personal story, it's caused me to rethink a lot of things that I have been doing and what I want to do with the future. So, you know, I'm like right in the mix with everybody else. So I think, you know, it's, yeah, no, I, I think it's a great time to be making this decision, making this determination and, you know, using this context really to affect change. I mean, I think it's just, it's an awesome time. Well, everybody listening in is you get to know Scott better. Yeah, you're right. Tremendous opportunity. And, you know, in your own life, Scott, you came to a fork in the road and you really thought it through and then you created a plan. And then most importantly, you acted which gives immense credibility to you as a coach and a consultant. And so I think one of the takeaways is think about it. Think about the opportunity. Think about uh, the steps that need to be considered. So plan it through and then take action. Think, plan, act. And uh, I think where somebody could go from here to obviously avoid some of the DIY consequences is to consider that gap analysis with Scott. Even if you don't decide to pursue it through, just thinking it through in and of itself will be a great exercise. Again, we scratched the surface. Uh, so I would, would think, as we discussed yesterday, maybe a recurring quarterly conversation around the brand within the brand. But uh, I'll leave you with the closing comments and then we'll get you back here uh, real soon. So... Yeah, I mean, I would just encourage anybody who's thinking about this to pursue it. I mean, I'm not saying you do it, but I would pursue it. If you have that kind of even an inkling, it's unbelievable working in that space. It's unbelievable. The, the people that I worked with, the creativity, really the genius. I mean, I felt a lot of times just so privileged. I mean, I really literally felt like I was touching genius in a lot of these cases. Right. And that is just amazing for me anyways. Right. It, it's not just about the money. The money is important, but like for me, it's just like, wow, I'm just so lucky that I got to meet these people. And I think it comes back to like, we're building out more resources at Pareto for this area. You know, I'm doing a lot of interviews that will be part of that with providers in this area. And I talked to, uh, I, I don't know if anybody knows him, but his name's Tony Wood and he runs the, he runs the global family office division for RSM, which is a giant accounting firm. And when I asked him, like, what does he think the most important thing for advisors to consider going into this is he, he said exactly the same thing. They've got to understand why they're going into it. If it's just for the money, Chances are, you know, good that it's it's not going to work out well. I, I don't know if it's a balance 50-50 between the qualitative fulfillment and what it reveals in someone personally, but to a, an advisor, every single one we work with that has embraced it and moved forward, they're different. Their relevance, their attractiveness in the marketplace, they were always good, but it's it's found another gear. That qualitative, it's it's hard to put your finger on that, but when you see it, when you feel it, it's there. So 
Yeah. Excellent. Great. Great. Thank you very much. This time just zipped right by, but we'll have you back, of course. And what's really exciting about between now and the next time we have you back is the specific interactions with teams that are going through this in real time. Let's bring that, uh, some of that to our next conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been fun, Duncan. Thanks again. I, As I always, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah. Likewise. Never feels like work. Look forward to seeing you uh, talking to you soon, but uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.